Hello and welcome to Here for the Health of It. I am Dr. Randy Kloss and I have a very special announcement today. We are going to be having the one and only Megan Eisman, now turned Stetson, as a co-host today with Dr. Tom. Uh, they are going to be interviewing a, a woman by the name of Emily Middleton and she is a registered nurse and she has a new business called The Latch RN. And she acts as a, a lactation consultant she does in-home, private, prenatal education, uh, postpartum, mother-baby support, and a host of other things. So I hope you will enjoy this special episode of Here for the Health of It. All righty. Thank you, Emily, for being here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. We're going to yeah. talk everything prenatal, breastfeeding, and postnatal, postpartum That's stuff. That's a lot. That's, That's a, a mouthful. Lot. We're going to get into it today. <laughs> yes. So can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and kind of your journey up until this point? Oh, God, that's a lot, too. Um, okay, cool. So I'm Emily. Uh, my business is called The Latch RN. I'm a registered nurse and a lactation consultant. And I pretty much, well, I guess if I want to start, I've been a nurse for 20 years. Wow. So I started... Um, I've been a nurse at Baptist Hospital, went back when it was like Baptist yeah. Hospital. Yeah. So I've been there and that was 20 years ago. So I went through a lot of transitions with the hospital situation. I was in the NICU for 15 years, Okay. NICU nurse for 15, and then I've been a lactation consultant for 10. So, um, so yeah, I've just kind of done everything from the NICU to lactation on the floor to I was what was called an OB nurse navigator in mm -hmm. the hospital. And so basically I started educating women and families around 16 weeks of pregnancy, preparing them for what to expect in the hospital, breastfeeding, very breastfe breastfeeding focused, right. but really kind of trying to hit on all the things and just resource people in the best way possible to help prepare them for that postpartum period. Nice. So it was um, such a great job. It was, a, it was a new position and it was through Columbia Women's Healthcare. And um, then they got rid of that job with all the mergers and everything, you know, but it really did help me to understand how impactful that period was and how important education right. was in that prenatal period and how little everybody was getting. And so then I went back onto the floor and it kind of just didn't leave me because I kept seeing how people struggled so much in the hospital. And then you're kind of just like pushed out into the world. And so many people were like, right can you come with me yeah. can, you, can you live with me yes i can mean can you think live with me yeah it's such an unknown you don't know what you're getting into you can read a book you can talk to your friends and everybody has all their different stories but yeah. it really is you're, you're kind of walking uh in the dark for a bit so what got you so passionate about starting your own uh organization um, I have to say it was just because I saw such a lack of what was needed mm -hmm. in, in our community. Um, there just was nothing like what I really wanted to do. I was really into kind of offering a continuity of care and really helping women and families understand the importance of that prenatal period and trying to get ahead of like the massive amount of chaos that happens postpartum. And we just don't prepare ourselves well enough for that. We don't focus enough. I'm always like somebody who's like preaching, like we do so much like preparing to get married. Right. 
for our wedding. Good point. Like we start a year, typically a year in advance or whatever, decades in advance. We think about like all, all of these the things details. that we're going to do and and the financial, like what we're going to plan for financially for something like that. And, you know, the postpartum period is almost um, – I consider it like it's 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 crisis. Like it's, it it is, con- and we we don't think about it that way because it's so beautiful. We love the babies, and we're so excited about the babies. But in reality, it's kind of a period of crisis. And if we can just control a little bit of that chaos and a little bit of that overwhelm by preparing, yeah, more prenatally, just about it yeah, and what to do. yeah, um, with like educated professionals, especially when it comes to I don't know, not even breastfeeding. I mean, honestly all the feeding, all the things. So that was pretty much for me what I wanted to do is I really wanted to try to shift the focus from like this massive amount of just overwhelm. And there's so many things happening with women and families postpartum. Mm -hmm. If you just look at like the statistics and things, people are struggling with mental health, C-section rates increasing. There's so many different aspects to like what I'm trying to create interventions for. Even body image, is that a big deal um, right away? Is that something that you think that women tend to think about ahead of time that after pregnancy, things are gonna be different or look different? I think that, yeah, they, but probably not so much. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, yeah, I don't know that that's so much what people are thinking about. But it's just like, what is happening to my body? Yeah. <laughs> it's like total, like, I mean, it's it gets kind of chaotic after that. Yeah. I think the biggest amount of feedback I've gotten from my girlfriends is that mm-hmm. they have all of these visits leading up to the birth of their baby. In yeah. fact, like in the last several weeks, they're at the doctors every single week. And then after they deliver, they have one sec- six weeks postpartum appointment. Yeah. And then there's no other real care and they feel very abandoned in that time of yes. like, and usually if you're on a maternity leave, you don't have necessarily the support system of your friends or your spouse may have gone back to work. And so there's a lot of time where you're just there alone wondering if you're doing all of this right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's totally what it is. Yeah. We work like crazy. I mean, our daddies are like, they're back to work. Our mamas are just, you know, I mean, and, and it's just our society. I think You're that right. that's, that's literally like, I had, of course, I think this is every way that new, any new business starts out. Like you think it's going to be one thing and then it's like this crazy evolution. Mm-hmm. But the intimacy that I get to experience of being in people's homes, as opposed to like, I'm used to that immediate postpartum period. I'm used to like those first few days in the hospital. I'm used to long-term care in the NICU with families. But being in people's homes is such a tremendous wake-up call to like how much we need more intimate support, like knowledgeable intimate support in the home because we don't have that extensive family unit that I think – we all probably grew up right. with more. I can speak for myself on that. Sure. But, Absolutely. you know, we're very disconnected in a lot of ways from our loved ones. And I have to say that COVID and was probably too with, very with technology. And, yes. and I found I, I tend to think this and see if this you've seen this as well. But the stuff that's put out there for us to watch, even the education that's out there that's um, – <laughs> it it creates so much fear in the yeah. birthing process. Oh my gosh, that's such the, a brilliant point. Yeah, 
And does that, have you noticed, is that a lot of, well, I, I guess let's start with this then. When would be the first time one should have a visit with you? So, okay, so I do a multitude of things. Okay. Just to, okay, so it's kind of like my my breadth of what I'm do, doing is really expanding. Um, so I'm getting to the point where I'm just getting certified in hypnobirthing as well. Which is cool. I've yeah, seen yeah, yeah. So that's like, and, and um, so that starts anywhere. Yeah, I mean, I that kind say, of starts. elaborate on what that is exactly? So hypnobirthing, I know it's kind of, it's, it sounds so woo woo. Um, they don't like to talk about it, like being mindful in, but basically it is, it's basically just bringing your kind of learning how to use your breath and your intuition in order to allow your body to just work with your baby, um, to give birth. Yeah. And it's very simple and actually it's very basic. It's just like what you were talking about with the fear mongering right. and, and the way that we as a society and as a culture perceive birth, the way that it's given to us through the media is horrific. I mean, it's, it's terrible. Like the most, oh, it's, movies, everything. I mean, oh yeah. It's yeah. just like all of the screaming and yeah, chaos. Yeah, yeah. Just the writhing and it's like a worm on hot asphalt like you're just like oh god there's nothing about that that is appealing to me yeah um but it's really so lovely and this is new for me because i wasn't like in as far as in the birth world in the hospital i mean i was taught to fear birth as much as the next person mm -hmm. especially being in an environment where i was in the nicu i mean it's very intervention related right. and and when i was in the nicu all i could think about was like get that baby on that mother's chest yeah. Just get the baby to the mama and everything. Yeah. There was just this instinctual thing inside of me that was like, and, and it's yes. true. Yes. It works. I mean, yes. you put the baby on the mom, you put the baby on the dad, right. it works. Um, but yeah, so as far as that goes, like I, people can start seeing me early for like hip 12 weeks, yeah. 16, yeah, yeah anywhere can, in the any, first, anywhere second in that. trimester. But if you're just using me for like prenatal education, because I do, I have a newborn for newbies class that really encompasses just like preparing people for a hospital birth. I think there's a lot that needs to happen, right. especially in the time of COVID when we don't have access to doing hospital tours and having hospital classes. Um, that typically I encourage people to do anywhere from like 32 weeks to about 37 weeks ish okay. so many people are having babies a little bit early now right. but um so and that really encompasses newborn care what to expect in the hospital normal newborn breastfeeding behavior um really just kind of helping you to understand like kind of like damage control for yeah. the hospital yeah <laughs> i and hate to say it that way yeah. but like yeah. You know, this is it's how true. you have a success, especially if you want to breastfeed. Like, this is how you successfully get through that first couple of hospital days. Um, and this is what's normal. And um, really trying to help people learn how to advocate for themselves um, and then just feel more confident in the hospital. Yeah, I think that's where there's so first time moms go into this hospitalization completely blind. Maybe it's the first time they've ever been in the hospital. And if there's no preparation other than like, well, the baby will come out one way or the other. Mm -hmm. I think they don't really know how to advocate. And I've found this out just like through girlfriends who have delivered recently that some were like, I didn't know I had an option about not using forceps. I didn't know I had an option about, you know, maybe not laboring on my back. And so there's a lot of things that they just didn't know because they depended on their provider 
to necessarily give them options. And then that didn't necessarily happen. Yeah. Um, so I think that it's, there's just a lot of lack of education of that there's different ways to birth and that some ways might be better than others. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what makes it better is the fact that it was your choice. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's what makes it better. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of things that, and we can change our mind. We can change our mind. Yeah. Um, but as long as you feel like it was your decision and you felt like you had agency over what was happening with your body and your baby, um, I think that that, and for dads too, like yeah. it's so important to, to kind of feel as though you were a part, an active participant in your labor and delivery uh, right. of your family when right. you, when your child is coming into this world. So you know, that's been really interesting. And that was not something like when I started my business, I was not really focused on just dads the birthing. Well, no, or, I've always been oh, okay, good. a dad. <laughs> no, totally. Like my favorite. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love dads. So, um, but just the birthing process. Right. But the way that you birth has everything to do with your breastfeeding and postpartum experience. It does. There's tons of research to support it. And so, um, you know, <clears throat> And I think a lot of the way that we birth has to do with um, just our postpartum mental health. Yeah. Because it's traumatic if yeah. you have a traumatic birth. And I dealt with a lot of women who had traumatic births. Yeah. I think that's a great point. I think mindset, I think having a plan, and I think aware of being aware of all the options available. So as things occur, mm -hmm. both parties, mom and dad, because when, when things start happening with mom, dad has to be the one that says, we discussed this, this is our plan yes. or ideal strategy, and we'd still like to stay with this and kind of be the the uh, the voice for mom in a sense there. Because yeah. to talk about that hypnobirthing stuff, um, I sat through a class years ago, gosh, nine years ago, I have an eight-year-old now, and he or, or they talked about um, changing the verbiage, which I thought was just a super interesting yeah. thing on um, – like the bloody show was one of the terms that he yeah. used that always, that I still remember this day. It was like, why are we saying let's wait for the, what, like when the bloody show occurs, mm -hmm. that initially or right away just speaks of like, wait, bloody show sounds bad. <laughs> you know, it's All of a it normal, sounds yeah. bad. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're talking about contractions. Yeah, yes. no, totally. I and think they, the, what, what, the way we talk about And birth. they said something like just, it's like the mucus plug releases is what they exactly. turned it to. And it's like, oh, it. that sounds a little bit better, right? Yeah. Um, and then to also, you, people, I think, think you get hypnotized in hypnobirthing. It's not that. You're not under hypnosis. It's you're trying to self- uh, Mm -hmm. get yourself in a state of meditation and awareness and that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. They always say, yeah, because of course, like... People think, yeah. They, you're, yeah, I'm like, you know, making you do crazy <laughs> stuff and everything. But they do. I mean, I think what we think about hypnosis is that, I mean, we experience hypnosis anytime. I'm telling people, like, anytime you've been in a flow, in a flow state, anytime you've, they say, highway hypnosis, or if you're doing something creative and you just kind of lose track of time or if you work out and you get physical, you're a runner, you know, I've right. never had the um, ability to just lose myself in running. <laughs> right. My husband is a runner, but like for me, that's not so much it. But um, yeah, just kind of getting in that flow state where you get out of the way. You just get out of the way and you allow your body and you're not, you're using like language. You, you practice, you know, affirmations right. and 
um, you're really changing the way that you think about birth because we have a lot of fear around birth. Right. And so, yes, it's totally changing your mindset, getting into that subconscious mind and changing the way that your body, because what does our body do? It reacts to what our thoughts. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So yep. like, you know, and it's super interesting when you get down to like the anatomy and physiology, the all of the hormone, it's all hormonal. Yep. You know, and when we think thoughts, the thoughts create chemicals, the chemicals create reactions in our body. And so we really want to stay in that oxytocin. We want to stay with that love hormone. Right. And so that's why like in hypnobirthing, it's very partner oriented because that's what keeps that feel good. Just how you got the baby here is how you get it out. You know, you just kind of. Right. That'll be my favorite part for somebody who can't ever say words of affirmation. That's right. <laughs> He's going to have to write them down. Yeah. Yeah. I think we'll you are very list. pretty. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to pre-record them and just hit play. Yeah. Well, that, and that, that too. That works That's too. That's pretty much, yeah, what they do. They just listen to their affirmations. So, so, so um, what's cool is it sounds like your, 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 your business is expanding into working with people to prep for birth. And do you probably talk a little about birth plans and then post birth, mm -hmm. how quickly do you come in to talk breastfeeding and, and um, help people with that? So this is really like, this was my original mission with talk with breastfeeding and my business. Like mm -hmm. it's just kind of expanded cause you realize it, it takes all the things, but ideally I'm meeting my clients prenatally. And so we're getting to know each other just like, you know, we're getting to kind of get that level of trust. I have a good medical history. I understand what's going on. I understand their goals. And then if there's any kind of bumps in the road with birth or delivery, any kind of like special care, NICU, early baby, big baby, gestate, whatever, um, then they can touch base with me while they're in the hospital. And I think that's such a, not that there's, I mean, we have lactation support in the hospital, but it's wonderful because a lot of my colleagues work in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And so I have connections with my colleagues in the hospital. And so that's super helpful for, for somebody who's going through a difficult experience or a NICU admission or something right. to be able to reach out to me and say, hey, this is happening. And I'm like, I mean, if we're cool with HIPAA, if you guys give me, we can all talk and right. we, can, we can kind of coordinate care here. Um, and plus, my clients are typically, they know how to hand express. They know kind of what to expect. So they're already ahead of the game when it comes to if something is going on with the baby and they need to go ahead and do certain things. Yeah. But then otherwise, I encourage my clients to call me within when you get home. Sure. You get home, and then we have our initial like lactation follow-up. Um, and, and we see how where, it goes. Is that where you just kind of watch the baby and how the baby's breastfeeding yeah yeah so typically what happens um just to take you through like a console yeah, like a process yeah a type of situation so that my clients will just get in touch with me they'll be like hey we're home from the hospital and so i bring my little scale over i've got a, like a really nice baby scale and we do um pre and post weight feeding so is that how you tell the amount yeah that the i was wondering yeah. about that okay yeah so we're able to kind of get it down to the gram nice yeah, super. It's wonderful, and it's it's such a relief. I do a full oral assessment on the baby, just kind of looking for any kind of tethered oral tissues, lip or tongue tie, anything like that. And so that's been hugely eye-opening as well. 
um, because obviously in the pre like when the baby is initially born and in the hospital that was not something that as lactation consultants we were really encouraged to explore right and so it's been really I I did a special training in that that was one of the first things that I did when I got into salt you know starting my own practice because I really understood the impact that tethered oral tissues have on these little ones and on the breastfeeding and and they're becoming much more common yeah i was wondering i was gonna say i feel like a lot more Mm -hmm. people i hear of say oh i've got to take the baby they've got a tongue tie or they're not latching properly yeah yeah but is that a cop-out a lot of times sometimes i'm i'm feeling like that's become more of a thing um as a way to have people stop breastfeeding or trying to breastfeed where they're like well the baby had a tongue tie to get that corrected it, it just seemed like there's such a huge uptick in the last 10 years. I think it's because there is. In, it, physically? Uh, yeah. What do you think created a, a lot of that then? Or what would you attribute that to? Like they're our saying, diet? And... Yeah. They're saying it's like epigenetics. Yeah. It I've gets, heard that. Yes. Really? Because the, the <laughs> this is, gets into fascia. You know, it gets it gets to the point where in. So the, the tongue, the the tethered tissues, they're developed around like six weeks in utero. It's very early. And so it's a line of fascia that actually runs through the body and it can create a lot of tension, not just through the tongue. Typically, if you see like tethered oral tissues, babies are going to have a lot of other issues along with that. And so one of the, actually the big things that I do when I, when I see babies with tethered oral tissues, and this is this is becoming a school of thought is to incorporate body work. That's one of the first things that, that I recommend and that but that I was taught. Massage for the baby. Chiropractics. Chiropractic, yep. Chiropractics yep. is huge mm-hmm. because these babies are coming out and they're just like, they're very tense in other ways because this is line of fascia that's actually connected throughout the body. And, you know, it's not just about the tongue tie. It actually turns into so many other things. Like mm-hmm. it impacts the way that they're, breathing, their sleep, their attention, um, teeth grinding. It just kind of creates all these situations. Right. So I think a lot of us are probably walking around and we didn't even realize that this was an issue. I mean, for instance, my son was 23 and we had massive breastfeeding issues and he had, you know, breathing problems, ADD, stuff like that. And then when you look back, when you, when I traced it back and I started to learn about tongue ties, I was like, I mean, that was it. Yeah. Tethered this whole time. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we did like so many different interventions. And so it's been really interesting to to learn about all of that and then start to create like a a community of providers who can help because right. it's a very intense yes. issue to yes. to deal with. With a periodontist and and mm-hmm. uh, I guess on that same note, um what are some of the signs that if a mom's listening right now and they have a young baby, mm-hmm. what are some of the signs and symptoms that you've seen? So you mentioned like grinding teeth. Is it, what about? Yeah. So so for her baby. Yeah. Like, the, what would the baby be expressing that you'd think? Okay, oh, maybe I should get him assessed for a tongue tie. Yeah. So if it's early, mm-hmm. like we have new babies, it's going to be a lot of nipple soreness, mm-hmm. just just or problems with latching. I mean, if you take it, if you take it back to like, let's keep it simple, you know, the basic developmental things that babies are supposed to do is they're supposed to know how to eat and they're supposed to know how to breastfeed. Mm-hmm. So if we're having massive breastfeeding problems, um, 
typically, yeah, you definitely want to check for tethered oral tissues. Is it always the thing? No, but is it the thing a lot of times if you just can't get a handle on it? Yeah. If you trace, trace medical history back on a baby, you're probably going to be like, this baby had issues with breastfeeding. Right. Um, if they're a little bit older, you could have issues like problems with sleep, lots of reflux, um, just problems eating, textures. Mm-hmm. People would say, quote unquote, picky eaters. Right. Right? Well, why? Why are they a picky eater? I mean, are they really behave? A lot of times these things get passed off as a behavioral issue, but it's actually something that's like structurally going yes. on with their tongue because they can't maneuver the food. Yeah. Right? And so then they're like, they have like an overactive gag reflex and all. So yeah. on that same uh, interesting, I mean, that's exactly what my same story my son had. So wow. he had yeah. a tongue tie that we didn't know about any of this until he was 18 months. So he developed a fear of food yeah. and, and started developing oral sensory issues where then he stopped eating. He would only do breastfeeding right. and it turned into a whole thing. And, and he had some of those things that those signs that if we would have picked on a uh, pick up on earlier, that could have possibly changed because by the time he was a year and a half, he was already, um, we think what happened was he choked, he, anytime food would come towards his mouth, in his mind, he would think, I can't, I'm going to choke on this, so I'm going to avoid anything, yeah. food, texture, yeah. Um, and yeah, and, and I had to get that corrected. So that that is interesting. That's a, that is a big thing. Yeah, and, that's fascinating that you've, I mean, you've had yeah, personal experience yes. with it too, so... Um, on that, what do you think of the nipple shield where sometimes they'll use it? Because I remember he, he wasn't it. latching very – what's that? I just love it. You do like you, him? You, well, no. Like, oh. you know all these things. Oh, yeah. I know yeah. it's good. So much. I know a so lot it's of – good. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. Cause, well, but prior to knowing about you, like, I've, I've met with a lot of patients just to kind of, just to talk through a lot of these things. Um, mm-hmm. So I did study some of this stuff. But I remember um, – using a nip had to use a nipple shield yeah. and that got milk but i think that created uh, there wasn't that um uh the the like nipple that. receptors didn't find my son's saliva <laughs> and be able to make the adaptations yeah that a lot yeah, of people don't know about that really too. scientific yeah. yeah there's a lot going on there um so nipple shields are a great tool, you know, they're a great tool, but they are definitely a sign, a sign of an underlying issue. Again, mm-hmm. why do we need to use the nipple shield? You know, right. I mean, not, not to give out, like, I do have a client that we just went through this entire process. We're like, you know, um, and so, you know, we're using a nipple shield and we're just having painful breastfeeding. And it's like, I don't think every tethered oral tissue necessarily needs to be revised Mm -hmm. um and so but nipple shields are wonderful but ideally we just have to understand like if if you're a mom or a dad and you go you're having to use a nipple shield it's absolutely um we want to understand what's going on with the dyad yeah Yeah. in order to kind of realize like there's something going on there and it's um Sometimes they are overused. Sometimes they're, people are just trying to get through. I mean, right. people are just trying to get through. Anything, but yeah. they can impact the milk supply um, because, like what you're saying, the baby typically isn't emptying the breast as effectively. Right. A lot of times also because they just can't. They just can't do it. Their tongue isn't functioning right. yeah. to its full capacity. So, And I think a lot of women, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, expect breastfeeding to be painful. So they – 
may not even say anything because they were like, well, everybody said that this is the worst and it's painful and we just all have to do it mm-hmm. until it's okay for us to not have to do it. And they don't understand that I think normal breastfeeding isn't really supposed to be a painful experience. Yeah, I totally. I mean, I think that like without being so graphic, like when I breastfed, I thought, <laughs> yeah, I thought my nipples were going to fall off. I was yeah. like, but this is the thing. They look yeah. like they went through freaking meat grinders. And I was like, right. oh my God, like this is, but I was just like, I was pretty diehard about it and I didn't know any different. Um, and, you know, I think women do think it's supposed to be painful or they've heard a lot of trauma stories. And the thing is, is, we should be able to just do a couple little hacks and get that straightened out. Now, I do not promise a pain-free breastfeeding experience. Right. Like, that's unrealistic. Right. I always tell people, I'm like, your nipples have never been, like, worked like that. Like, that's it's totally different ballgame, right. you know? So, um, but it should get better. It shouldn't be getting worse. We shouldn't be having persistent issues. So, once we do a little tweaking with, like, position and latch babies I mean we should be good we should be rolling right you know so what is um just walk somebody through like what is the proper technique for breastfeeding like how should babies be positioned on your bodies how should they be you know attaching to Mm -hmm. you are there any like devices like a pillow that you're supposed to have like what are kind of basic 101 of what it should look like yeah I know I kind of wish I had all my props and stuff but um (laughs) but they and they can find this on your Instagram page. yeah I do a lot of videos like educational videos on Instagram you can always like you know hire me to come in and give you a private breastfeeding lesson but um so basically I tell people the baby should be facing facing the mama Mm -hmm. facing the dinner table is what I say Mm -hmm. head neck and spine in one line so the mechanics of breastfeeding for me for both the mother infant diet are like super important so making sure that mama's head neck and spine is in one line that her body is like just that you're using your core and you have like lumbar support that's pretty much to me i'm a real big minimalist about when it comes use your body to learn how to breastfeed because you know you're not going to have all of these other things when you get out into the world if if choosing to breastfeed out out in public is your thing you know so learning how to use your body and then having the baby head neck and spine in one line facing the dinner table that's pretty much it because and then by the nipple you know it's quite amazing i don't the whole breast crawl thing have you guys seen the breast crawl so it's babies are wired to survive you know, and that's why I constantly kind of go back to the whole thing of the norm, like it's behaviorally, biologically normal. The first things that they need to know how to do are eat and sleep. And so if we're having issues with eating, we're probably having issues with sleep. Right. They're so connected. So, you know, if you put a baby by your breast, typically they're going to figure it out. I mean, they're literally wired to know what to do. We're just little mammals, mm-hmm. you know, kind of. Yeah, with innate intelligence. Yeah, yeah born with born in wisdom. Totally, and so like, you know, after the baby is born, we do that initial skin to skin, and then you'll see the baby. They kind of map and they learn, and they're doing the breast crawl. So they're literally crawling, and they'll self attach themselves. There's really a lot of times like you don't even, you don't have to do anything, especially when you have a mother infant dyad that has all their faculties intact. Like, this is something learning about birth and how we give birth. Right. You know, and just understanding, like, 
I mean, I'm all about whatever, however people choose to give birth. But the reality is, is that medications get to the baby, right. you know? Exactly. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm not even going to pretend to lie that that doesn't happen. And it's very obvious when you have a mother infant diet that has that have all of their faculties because they're free of medications. Yep. Um, they they respond differently. The babies aren't so kind of dopey a little yep. bit. Right. You know, it's yep. just it's just a different process that you're going to see. So, um, so and specifically, you're talking like if a mom has an epidural or yeah, or you're saying medications during pregnancy. Um, epidural, epidural, like a medicated yeah, right birth. away that, that changes things. Yeah, 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 yeah. it does. Yeah. And, you know, I, I know people get real heated about that. And I'm just like, you know, I just, it's informed consent. And I've heard <laughs> that too. But at the end of the day, um, if we just simplify to we are animals and we're meant to give birth and every other animal species on the planet gives birth without an epidural, and Tom I, wants you to know he was meant to give birth. <laughs> I like talking about this because I don't have to. <laughs> I don't have to choose. No, but but my point in that is, and I'm not, and I'm not Would trying to harp birth? on. Her. Would he give birth if he could give birth? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I He's would like, try. I, I pay tribute. He, he did. He talks to do it. Game. <laughs> right. We are meant to do this. <laughs> But I just think it's a slippery slope. I think it the, is. I just always err on the side, though, that the body uh, was designed for this. And I'm mm-hmm. not trying to give women or anybody a hard time that's had an epidural by any means. But I think um, I more so struggle with if you if that's a choice ahead of time, and and you do want if a mom wants to do that, have they has have they been educated enough on what you're saying that this does affect the baby, that there is other consequences? Because I think more they're looking at it like, oh, I get to choose pain freedom, ideally. So yeah. I'm choosing that, but what am I trading that choice for down the road? Is it Does it mean that my son or daughter now has asthma, allergies, genetic defects, mm-hmm. breastfeeding issues, doesn't sleep at night because I just made that choice? And then all of a sudden, again I go back to like yeah I think there was there's something to how God set things up and when man starts to create all these processes that start to in the short run sound awesome always end up terrible in the long run and I feel like that's biblical and should be written down Yeah, yeah, that's getting that's getting in there I mean we're <laughs> I mean does, but does that make so so to and no. my, my whole point in that is is as you're mentioning that there are studies to show that that any sort of medication is going to affect processes beyond um, the 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 short run. Yeah, I mean because it's just a domino effect. I mean, and you know, I absolutely believe that there is a way to have an epidural and have a better birth, mm-hmm. but unfortunately, we're not in the hospital system typically i think things are just getting so busy and people just don't have the time like there's ways to have an epidural and not labor on your back right let's just say that right right? so you labor on your back and it it just doesn't make it doesn't make sense like physiologic sense like you you don't go to the bathroom on your back is what i always tell people right there's a there's a purpose for that. there's a purpose for that and so like if we had more support and more education about when you labor on your back you can do these things you can you know use the peanut pillow you can do right. all this different stuff you know but we're 
the best way to move and give birth is to not have an epidural, you know, and, and when you don't have an epidural, that's going to decrease your incidences of C-sections. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's just a lot of things that we can better prepare for. And even having an epidural birth, if that's your informed consent, just knowing these are the ways that you can labor better. Right. And you can have less chances of having a C-section with an epidural birth. I think exactly to your point, we're not saying X, Y, and Z are more likely to happen if you have an epidural, you know, but people... People, it's it's like not common. Yeah. I was gonna say, being in the hospital for as many years as you have been or were, how many successful natural births did you see? Like, was it the vast minority? Um, was yeah, it percentage? done more commonly? Did you feel like the physicians were supportive of the women that chose that route? Mm. Um, and completely natural, so no intervention at all. Yeah, so I don't have like statistics. Like I don't know the answer. Yeah, I will say just that like because I was, I will say that when I was in the prenatal setting, um, very rare. And when I say like very rare, like one in a hundred, maybe if less. even. Yeah, if even. And I mean it. It was. It was. Uh, and then helping women breastfeed, like the most of the time when people actually ended up having a natural birth it was accidental like Mm -hmm. it was just a precipitous delivery they weren't maybe really planning on it um as far as just like people wanting to have a natural delivery people would they would be like oh i want to have a natural delivery and of course my follow-up question was well how are you preparing for that you know oh i'm just you know kind of hoping that i'm just gonna kind of hope that it works out and i'm like oof, that's yeah yeah. You know, you really do need to mentally, like, it's it's the big day. It's it's like an, anything. It's like right. training for a race. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, it's the big day. Ready or not, here you come. Yeah. You should train for it months in advance. Yeah. Men- and the and, mental preparation, I would say, for hypnobirthing, that's really what it is. Right. And, the and having the um, wherewithal to have good conversations with your OB, if you're working with an OB or a midwife, so that they're aware of your plan and choice and that they feel that you've educated yourself enough because otherwise they they have their plan which is um you know a back or i call it more like a backup plan because their their yeah. plan the reason that they're there is f- they're planning for something to go wrong yeah. essentially right yeah. because that's the only yeah. what i hear most of the time with with moms is I, you know i'd like to be at the hospital just because if something goes wrong Mm-hmm. There's all you know this stuff. So that is the plan. It is yeah. the wrong plan is essentially the plan. Yeah. So if you don't walk in with something on paper or in your mind that you've thought about and read about and educate them about like this is what I'd like, their plan is your backup plan essentially. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I have to say to that to that to that note. There's a lot of physicians that have never seen a natural birth. Right. And that's this and that's a great point because that's I always it blows my mind because that's their specialty. Like they do birth for a living and have never or rarely see what that looks like versus yeah. a midwife doula um, that our our country at least looks at as like, oh, you're going to have a, a baby in a barn, you know, with a person who eats bar- tree bark and has no medical education. Like, There's Jesus coming out. <laughs> yeah. Well, they get worried about like this person has no medical education. You're like, well, yeah. let's just look at their track record. You know, and a lot of these 
midwives are unbelievable. It's like they've had a thousand births and ninety or nine hundred and you know fifty of those were natural, unmedicated. And then there's yeah. like fifty that like, yep, guess what? We took them to the hospital and and they're trained for that very thing. And that was one of my questions on like with even the latching and breastfeeding and some of your specialty com- us compare in the u.s compared to other countries mm-hmm. are there the similar sort of trends or are you seeing less interventions in other countries less people having issues and i don't know if that's something you've ever even looked at um, yeah definitely i mean you can even look at that in the con- in the country you right. know in 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 the united states i mean just the different the different outcomes that are happening all over the country based on you know hospital intervention practices you know the more interventions you have the poorer the outcomes i right. mean w- women pregnancy isn't a time of sickness and we've we've, we've medicalized it to the point where it's absolutely become like this point time of you know massive interventions right things that are literally research proven like if you look at ACOG and all those different things like it's like it doesn't work like just stop get out of the way (laughs) right get out of the way and let people just believe the fact that they're they have the ability to to do birth without being Mm -hmm. woo woo or anything I mean it's literally just like you can we have complicated it to the point where it's become a total clusterfuck. Yes, <laughs> so. and great terminology for that because that's what I think it is. I mean, it, 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 we, it it's we've shifted the normal to some new normal mm-hmm. that everybody thinks the the hospitals the you're nuts if you don't give birth in a hospital with an OB when that's not the normal. That's you know, it's it's like anything. Yeah. Like the normal is like taking an aspirin for a headache instead of being like, no, you haven't drank water or um, slept in days. Like, yeah. do that. That's normal. The aspirin's abnormal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what I was gonna so having both been in the healthcare system, I think we have the unique perspective of being able to see something day in and day out, and knowing that there are things that we would just like to see change. And yeah. I, ever since I was in college, I took a United States healthcare system class, mm-hmm. and it's kind of shaped the way I viewed healthcare ever since, which is that it's not a perfect system, and that because of whether it's nursing shortages or over demands, or you know, the hospital is so full that we don't often get to provide the care that we set out with our intention to do when we all first yeah. went into medicine. And so I admire you greatly that you saw this like kind of lack in care and said, I'm going to fill this void, even if it means separating myself from the hospital and like doing something independently, because yeah. it's still something. Because you get to see both sides, like the wish, the thing you wish you could change, but maybe not be possible within the system that you work. Mm-hmm. So, what has been some of the greatest like successes or satisfaction that you've gotten since you left the hospital world and started out on this venture on your own? That's a good question. It's always good to think about that because it's such a massive, um, it's only been six months. So I'll say that I've only been in business for six months. And the business part, I was like coming here thinking about it. I was like, oh, the business is such a racket. Like I'm so bad at it. I didn't go to business school. Right. just learning all that. Like I'm just really here for the work. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, but I have to say that, I mean, I've already dealt with some lip and tongue tie issues. Just doing a good job at literally every single time. And then people are like, they having a private practice lactation consultant 
or birth worker who has that hospital experience is so valuable and seeing that it's actually really valuable. Like I, I figured it was valuable. Mm -hmm. I thought it was valuable. The research shows it's valuable, but it has taken time for me to see families through and see how that continuity of care has actually created an impact that early intervention with seeing a lip and tongue tie issue on a baby, um, with helping people navigate like why a baby is seemingly refluxy or even just like, helping them understand how to take care of a diaper rash, you right. know? Um, Do you feel re-inspired again? Because a lot of times, like health, especially now, nurses are more burnt out than ever. And so, although more tiring, and a business comes with a lot yeah. more responsibility, do you feel somewhat more like you're making more of an impact or just a different impact? I think I'm making a different impact because I never want to n- mitigate, like, what is going on in the hospital right. like with my colleagues and right. the work that they do i never ever would want to be like i mean it's it takes a village it really does yeah. take a village and i know that we say that so often i think it's so cool to have people like me who are on the other side of the fence right who can communicate with people in the hospital who can help once the you know they get home you're like kind of like clients. that home health component like yeah. if we had that in you know pre post postpartum care it's yeah. like they get to go home <coughs> with somebody well yeah and in other countries they literally have that right like they have the midwife that comes in like for weeks right. after the baby is born and it can be anything like i said it can be anything as simple as just like i mean i'm able to have a scale like a scale i'm, I'm tracking babies weights so once they get home like if, if a baby is not thriving then <coughs> we're just kind of digging deep and trying to figure out why but it is having those tentacles on the ground in the home. And I think it's really interesting. Absolutely. And really necessary. <coughs> and, um, you know, and it's so funny, too, because it's not just about, like, the medical part. It's also about just, like, the holistic part and the idea that you have, like, a knowledgeable professional who's actually, like, I become kind of an auntie. Right. I mean, it's, it's sort of, I, when you have that continuity of care – it creates like a completely different relationship between you and I'm not like a medical <coughs> provider, but, yeah. I, but I am. I mean, I am a medical provider as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that you and I probably share that similarity because when you did NICU, your families were there for so long. Yes. And in trauma, my families are with Love us it. for such a long time that you, when they leave, we often do keep in touch. Like, will you call us? Will you come back and see yeah. us after you're done with therapy? Because there is this connection. And so thing in healthcare, the continuity of all things that we do is probably one of the most important things is just seeing the same consistent people. Mm-hmm. So I absolutely think that this is amazing what yeah. you're doing. Yeah. Um, and I asked, so this morning, again, I was talking to um, all of my moms who had just delivered on our team this past year. And I mm-hmm. said, what kind of questions would you guys have had had you had this kind of consultation before mm-hmm. you delivered? Mm-hmm. And so a big one they asked was, when should I start pumping? Because they felt like some people said I did it too soon and so I messed everything up. And some people felt like, well, I felt like I had to start because I was going back to work. Mm-hmm. And so that was a big question of like, is there a perfect time? Um, you should talk to your lactation consultant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like everybody should have a lactation yeah. consultant. Like everybody should have like a primary care provider or a chiropractor or whatever. Right. But I do. I think it's so specialized, and that's right. one of the Different great for things. Everybody. 
Yeah, yeah. because yeah. everybody is going back to work. Everybody's right. milk supply is different. I mean, I base all of those answers on a perfect world situation, right? right? So if you are having a successful <clears throat> breastfeeding experience and everything is going really great and you go back to work at eight weeks, I don't know, like it just depends, then I typically tell people um, just learn how to breastfeed. Like just learn how to breastfeed. Um, but a lot of what happens is that we just psych ourselves out and we're on Google and we're on right. all these forums right. and we're not thinking that our milk supply is efficient and then we need to pump and then we create oversupply and it is just insane. But, um, if everything is going great, my recommendation is just learn how to breastfeed, yeah. then start incorporating a little bit of pumping here and there, start stashing a little bit of milk because when you go back to work, the reality is is that your milk supply is typically going to drop. Right. So you want to kind of have that comfort of having a savings yeah. of milk. And that's when they almost all noticed. And again, we work in trauma. It's very busy. But that's yeah. when they all almost noticed is like, well, I can't drink enough because I'm on my feet. I'm seeing patients. Yeah. And so I know that or like before these new wireless pumps came out, they felt like, well, now I have to go into a room in the dark. It's cold. Well, I don't know if they're in the dark, but like, you know, by well, myself, so by, my, by myself, right. like, yeah. and I'm not, you know, like, you don't have your little sweet bay making all this. Right. Exactly. Noises. And so they felt like yeah. this is now I'm doing this a couple times a day and it's so isolating again to be alone in a room pumping while everybody else is like maybe eating lunch together. And so yeah. I think those were some of the barriers that they talked about. Well, um, on that same note, then with bottles, um, when if they do start pumping early, does it create nipple confusion where, um, are, mm. and are there certain bottles or, um, bottles, are they yeah, called nipples, like nipples on the bottles? And all that kind yeah. Of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Ones that you would yeah. recommend that would mimic more for, for people like that? Yeah, totally. There's, that's a whole thing. Okay. It's just and like a, the like... kind of pump, the way your pump fits. I mean, this is why I think like it is a science and an art. Lactation is just like, it's so complex. Like it's so multifaceted, especially now with like the working world um, and working women and, and working dads and working everybody. Right. Because there's so much new technology. Mm -hmm. There's so many ways to make it a better experience, a more efficient experience. Yeah. I mean, it's stuff that like for me coming from the hospital setting, like I was like, we have one pump, we have one flange. I mean, these are the flange sizes, but you get out on the other side and it's like, whoa, this is, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's insane how much technology and how far we've come. So you know, bottles, yeah. Like I'm always like Dr. Brown, slow flow, paste yeah. bottle feeding method, all of these things, you know, but. What time period afterwards is ideal or. For feeding a baby yeah. with a bottle? Yeah. Or um, as, I guess as long as you can go, the better would be my assumption. Like if you never had to use a bottle, that would be. Well, if that's what you want. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like you have dad to reach wants to help. Right? I mean, well, I would think that like. Or dad doesn't want to help and likes the idea. <laughs> no, like, because like, you would think there's some He wants some natural component. birth. He wants breastfeeding. Well, he wants mom to do it all. Like some I want to wear one of those boobs, though, that no. we fill up with your like milk. This, like, some component like, of bonding comes at times of feeding, I would imagine. And so I think that, and you said you were big on dads in the beginning, so maybe you can elaborate, but just like how do we get them involved? So Because... Typically, we think about yeah. babies they want, and people say this all the time, like, oh, they want the boob, and they want to sleep, and then, you know, they need their, their mm -hmm. diaper changed, and that's all there is to it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, where does that leave dad? Because mom's doing feeding, baby's sleeping, you know, like, 
where do we allow them to bond? Um, so, oh, there's so many ways. There's so many ways. I mean, I have to say, like, the families that I'm working with most of the time, a lot of the times they want to introduce a bottle early. Yeah. So I will say that. And I have to say from a, from a NICU setting and all of my experience, it is not a problem. Okay. Okay. Um, I think there's a lot of misinformation that happens just in the breastfeeding world that makes women, that could make women feel very isolated in that right. job, right? So it doesn't have to be that way. But if you want to be an exclusive breastfeeder, dad can always just make sure that you're comfortable and you have what you need right. in that process. You know, he can bring you the baby. He can make sure you have water. He can make sure you have food. I mean, he's just, you know, he's just he's making got jobs. Yeah, right. yeah, he's got a lot of stuff to do. But like, if you want to incorporate bottles, I always tell people it's about flow. It's not necessarily about nipple confusion. It's about flow confusion. Okay. The flow of the bottle matters. And, and if a baby, I mean, they're not dumb. If it's easy and you don't, you're not doing like a pace bottle feeding method, and you're just doing bottle, 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 and they're just like. Chug, they're like chug. chug I could tell yeah. people it's like they're at a kegger. They're like, yeah. gook, 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 you know, right. they're just trying to get through the feeding. Um, they're gonna they're gonna get lazy. It yeah. uses a lot of oral muscles, a lot of like you know abilities for them to be able to successfully and effectively breastfeed. Right. Um, you have to use you know so many more muscles to breastfeed than you do to bottle feed. So that's another reason why it's, right. you know, fun. Now let me pitch you a quick billion dollar idea, I think. See if you like this. Okay. What if we could take a mold of the mom's nipple and then turn that into the head of a bottle and sell that? You think that's so, feasible? Do you think that like be, each mom? We take each mom, they send in a breast mold of, of their nipple. <laughs> <laughs> we make a nice covering for the bottle and then sent and ship those back so that becomes their their uh i mean that's going to be pure marketing like if you want it to be successful (laughs) not necessary you know (laughs) and now back to the real like he's like he's like a like a like we want to have how people do molds of bellies yeah yes we can have have nipple molds nipple molds So we got probably some rapid-fire questions here, right? All right, so my last real big question. Okay. And do you address this when you meet with people? I'm sure you do. Mm -hmm. So people have questions about, like, cluster feeding versus comfort feeding versus schedule. like And overnight feeding. And Mm. is there something that you guide them towards? or Because some people are like, I'll just do whatever the baby wants. Some people are like, no, Mm -hmm. they need to be on a schedule from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um. How do you address those kinds of questions? So I'm not of the of the sleep training world, first mm-hmm. of all. I mean, I think that um, basically babies have just biological newborn needs, and we have to get that milk supply well established. Yeah. Now, with that being said, babies are very capable for sleeping stretches at a certain point, you know? And I think that it just depends. That comes really honestly down to parental preference. How do you want a parent? Do you want to do like that intensive, responsive parenting where you f- that's what it looks like to you, where every time your baby kind of wants to feed, um, you put them to the breast. Now, what I really guide people to do, because people typically get t- they get tired. They're like, why is my baby waking up all night long wanting right. to feed multiple times? Like, it's normal to feed, right, what, two, three, four, like 
that's that would be normal okay two three times a night something like that maybe four um and i'm not saying anybody who doesn't do that is not normal but are we having a feeding issue that's what i always want to come down to is there a problem with feeding is there a way for us to make sure that your baby is effectively feeding more efficiently at the breast so that you can have a longer stretch of sleep at night right. i have a lot of clients who want to start introducing an evening bottle so that they can you know measure and another thing about seeing me is that we get to do a pre and post weight feeding so we're basically like if i do a b and c at the breast this is how much my baby is probably going to transfer yep. right right so you it gives you the comfort of knowing like my baby is transferring two and a half ounces when I'm keeping them awake, massaging my breasts, mm-hmm. their jaws. Like, it's so many different things. Um, but, yeah, like, as far as cluster feeding, there's a time where they're going to cluster feed. But you just – it's so much more about learning the quality of the feeding and understanding what a good quality breastfeeding session looks like because that gives you the confidence to know – I don't need to respond with my breast when my baby is fussy. Right. My husband or my partner or my grandma can actually take the baby out for a walk, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because we had a good breastfeeding session, and I feel confident that my baby is well-fed. Therefore, I can move on in my mind. Right. I have the confidence of knowing, okay, we met that need, and now it's time to move on to something else. Yeah. You know? And I think that that's really where a lot of just – working with a professional helps to give you the confidence you're like oh it's parental confidence it's like exactly i don't have to question like nobody wants to starve their baby no and that's the big thing like everybody's like are they well fed did i feed yeah i don't know i don't know after speaking with you it's mind-blowing to think that like not everybody has a version of you because i think that like the confidence thing like that's half the battle because then when you go to the pediatrician, if you're not on those like gross scales yeah you get so terrified that you're doing something wrong And then, or also that like you need to now supplement with formula. And so that's, and then before you know it, you're like completely done breastfeeding because like before you even wanted to stop because you had like one hiccup in the road that just like cascaded into something much bigger. Yeah. Yeah. And that's typically, I mean, legitimately, that's literally what happens. You know, I mean, I have to say that I always tell people, I'm like, we have got to change the conversation in the way that we look at lactation as like understanding that it's therapy it is a therapy it is a mother infant dyad and a pump yeah yeah and a partner mm-hmm. i mean there are so many different moving parts of this relationship and this lifestyle and there's so many different ways that it can look like right. you can literally be an exclusive breastfeeding family you can be a combo feeding family i mean there's so many different ways and nobody needs to feel like shit about how right. they're right. how right. they're doing it like right. You, you can, as long as you have the proper help and support, it's like, yeah, and you need it. What do you tell moms that I think some moms feel bad or guilty when their milk supply, or they feel like they just, their milk supply is not coming in anymore. And they, they, they had planned to breastfeed for a year and they only make it four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, whatever. And then they're really bummed about that. Is there, I guess twofold one should before they stop should they i would imagine they should contact you first right before they just decide to yeah give up because it's I mean, almost like so. yeah because somebody or are there any other tips that you would give them to 
increase their supply or, um, you know, I, I guess encourage them to keep push. Going. Yeah, keep going. Because yeah. I, I feel like there is a lot of like stopping short um, because it's just, it's an unknown. It's not so much the mom necessarily wants to. They just. Don't well, know. and there's a lot of bad advice. And, and bad there's advice, a lot of, there's too, a yeah. lot of healthcare professionals, unfortunately, that people are looking to that really don't know. They don't, they don't, they don't know what, they don't know what they're right. talking about. I, and they don't really, they're not really good about referring to somebody who does. Um, you know, when it comes to making milk, it's hormonal. And typically, now we do have women who experience um, insufficient glandular tissue and things that would, hormonal in, hormonal situations, PCOS and things like that. And so that is, again, the benefit of having a prenatal consult with a lactation. We can yeah. look through all of that. But the more it's all demand driven, typically in a healthy mother infant dyad, um, the more you take, the more you make. So as long as you're efficiently and effectively emptying your breast, they should be filling. So that can, that can create, like if you're, say you're having a healthy breastfeeding relationship with your baby and you're freaked out that you're not making enough milk and then you in turn start like pumping really early, you can create an oversupply. And what happens with oversupply is you get clogged ducts, you get mastitis, it creates all this other stuff, you know? But I mean, it's still, I think I've been so in this for so long there's stuff like anything that we do. I'm like, how can people not know this? But it's just such sure. basic information that pe- we still just don't know. Right. I mean, it's crazy yeah. that we don't know more about feeding our babies. Like, the, yeah, the foundation I mean, of life. It's and and I always say, I'm like, how do we learn by watching each other? Mm-hmm. Well, here in the South, we don't have people <laughs> breastfeeding. Right. Like, we are not like. I have most of the people I I help have never witnessed a breastfeeding baby, which is just. Yeah. But I'm 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 a product of five, and and we my mama didn't breastfeed, so yeah. you know yeah. it's just very interesting. What do you think? I got a couple. I know we're running short on time, but yeah. a couple quick questions on like feeding settings. Should the should for people that choose to co sleep let's say, Mm, mm -hmm. and the baby's laying right next to them in bed. If the baby wakes up and wants to feed, I've seen moms that will get out of bed to just change the feeding setting so that it's not like it's like, you know, you're sleeping. Let's get you used to sleeping. But if you're going to feed, get up. Or I've also seen moms that are just like they just flop on their side and they continue to sleep as the baby nurses. Is there any... Any I thoughts mean, on that? Well, there's a lot of research to support. Like, what is it, Dr. James McKenna? He's one that who's really into like the biological, normal, like um, co-sleeping, safe bed sharing. Like they call it like bed sharing. Um, again, I and think he's that's in, he's he's a proponent of that or against. Yeah, that? Okay. he's 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 for it. Yeah, he's really into like safe bed sharing. You know, um, breast. Breast sleeping, I think, like, you know, there's all these terms that they come up with. I think it's called breast sleeping, but it's basically, well, well, no, it's basically doing kind of like what you're talking about where you have um, a firm, flat mattress with no, like, excess pillows or blankets or anything that are going to, but the baby and the mom, they act like a little environment in the bed, and then when the baby's hungry, they eat, and then they, yeah, and the mama they look at the research and they're like, well, basically she's getting as much sleep as a baby that would be sleeping in a different room. 
Um, they look at all the neuroactivity. He probably talks about when's a good time to to stop co-sleeping. I imagine I he gets don't know. Or I mean, there... I think he's looking at just like basically around the world. This is what families do right. in the research that he does. He's right. like, I mean, this is how humans survived. And it kind of well goes back to the thing I said earlier. Like animals, their co- I mean, they will co-sleep with their baby for their entire childhood. Yeah, I mean, that's such a. Can we? Can... There's so many touchy topics. I know. Right. I'm like, are we supposed but to be talking about uh, this right for now? For sure. I, mean, I love to me, the <laughs> Is this more safe controver- territory? Yeah, no, I guess here. it's going on Spotify. The more, yeah, the more <laughs> controversial, the better on this. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. we <clears throat> talk about breastfeeding well, and birth. There's a lot of controversy. and poli- just, it's, pol- it's very political. It is very. You know? there, people have a lot of very intense emotions. Yeah. yeah. And, and well, I get that. But I think until we discuss it and know that there's other options, because we're probably going to – I imagine we're going to offend some people, but I think we're going to also – people that listen they're gonna go oh like i didn't know that and yeah there is a safe think. way yeah, to do it think. there's I, a safe way to do it i want them to just ask questions mm-hmm. like my way is not the best way your way may not be the best way her way may not be like we all may have our own different ways but mm-hmm. until we ask all the questions and then we choose for our children what we would want as a couple that's the best way right for that Couple. Yeah, and I think when it comes to sleep, because sleep is huge. huge. I mean, it's such a big, it's such a big deal, and so, and it, the reality is, is that a lot of people are sleeping with their babies. They're just not going to say this to their pediatrician. Right. They're not going to have an open conversation about what that looks like. And you know, I can sit here as a healthcare provider with a nurse and liability and all these things and tell people how they should and shouldn't live their lives. But when it really comes down to it, you know. If there's a safer way to sleep with your child, it's my responsibility to give you the research and, and see, and, you know, we... And let them choose, right? And, That's and, exactly and, yeah, it. It like, goes back you to know, choice. Ideally, like, don't be drunk. Right. Don't be medicated. You know, that's where a lot of this... There's so much to be said about this sudden infant death syndrome or where those statistics came from and, um, you know, what... I mean, there's a, there's a lot. Well, of I have my thoughts here. on that. The sudden death. <laughs> well, it goes back to your some of the chiropractic stuff that you were talking about. On, I think people have a fear of getting their babies checked um, and having body work or chiropractors assess them or things of that nature. But um, to the point of what you mentioned before, on you know the head, the neck, the spine, everything should be in alignment, facing the table, mm-hmm. as you mentioned. Um, but if there is the term that we use is subluxation, which is a way of saying that the baby's mm-hmm. spine is mm-hmm. out of position because yeah. of the trauma that the baby went through with the birthing canal. Thank what, you. Yeah. And so if the baby's not checked and has interference and now all of a sudden, and, and t- we tend to see this or, or women will come in and say like, the baby will only feed on my right breast and not my left. And yeah. part of it, we look at it, it's like, oh. Because the baby's neck is subluxated, it has interference. Right. When we make an adjustment, now all of a sudden the baby has is put back into a state of ease mm-hmm. and can now feed on both sides. Um, so that's what I was wondering. Do yeah, you get, totally. Do you recommend all of your moms or people you work with to get assessed by a chiropractor? And I read my audience. Uh huh. I mean, I have to. Is you it because? But is it because if somebody's really anti-chiropractic, you don't want to offend them, or what? what why? What would make I'm just interested in why you would hesitate to not tell everybody about it. Um, I mean, that's a really good question. I think I have a lot of, because I work with a lot of different kinds of providers mm-hmm. and I don't really want to, 
I mean, I can recommend, I can say something about it, but I always have to have people defer to their pediatrician. Sure. Like it's just, it's uh, it's just it can become a slippery well, it's slope. Well, it's kind of has to cover your butt a little bit on that, right? Yeah. Because if I you mean, recommend something that the pediatrician doesn't, now you are somewhat liable. Well, yeah, and I mean, I want to work well. <clears throat> with people in the community mm-hmm. i mean i want pediatricians to trust me sure with their patients you know what i'm saying and so i'm kind of i don't want to i just don't want to do anything to cause issues in that relationship sure you know and i get that Cause, i want to stay in my lane yeah i want to really stay in my lane and that's been something that i've really had to it's a big learning curve because sure. I'm coming out of a very institutional right. where I'm working very heavily with physicians and stuff like that. And I'm trying to create my own practice and my own, but also at the same time, I'm very holistic in the way that I approach things. And I think that's necessary, but I'm also very scientific and very yep. medical. Yep. And um, I won't really want to create networks as opposed to like, People blow fight. up yeah. bridges. Yeah, I agree. You want to be inclusive. <laughs> and so I 100% agree. And I, I think yeah. you and I, just hearing you speak, share so many commonalities in the mm-hmm. sense that, like, I went to, you know, PA school is an iteration of medical school. We do 75% of the same training physicians do in their yeah. education. And so there's that that you learn that's like kind of how your brain is wired. And then there's this holistic side, which you're like, I want to everyone to know that that's an option and that that's our goal and that we can supplement with like all the things that medicine offer. Yeah. Um, so even like in my friends, you know, since I didn't know much about chiropractic care before Tom and I were together. Mm-hmm. And so like now and they're like, oh, I have a colicky or gassy baby or like they're having really big digestive issues. Like I'll challenge or ask, like, have you considered chiropractic and just hear their answers? And sometimes they're like, nope, that seems way too risky. And yeah. I'm like, and they'll try a bunch of different things and then you know, a couple of weeks later, they'll be like, well, maybe I will see if that helps. Yeah. Like I'm desperate, you know, like now. So it's just, I think about introducing an idea and being like, I'm open to hear whatever it is that you, but like, I want to give you all the information and all the ideas. And then mm-hmm. together we'll come up with like this mm-hmm. cohesive plan that feels right with maybe a foot in both sides. Yes. Um, but yeah. I think a lot of times it's when the medicine side fails that people are like, all right, well, now I'll try holistic mm-hmm. instead of like the other Opposite. way around, um, yeah. which has just been something interesting that I've started to notice within my own cohort. Like, It's our culture, though. I mean, I think um, other countries, they start with let's go holistic. And if that doesn't work, we go medicine. In our culture, it's let's start with our pediatrician or medical. Yeah. And then if that doesn't work, let's go holistic, which I mean, again, I think the logic should and statistics show that we should do what more of the other countries are doing, which is like, let's look at our diet. Let's look at hydration. Let's look at you know, holistic type things that that aren't crazy. Like I get chiropractic sometimes can sound crazy for a baby. So as a chiropractor, I am, it's well known that like not everybody's a hundred percent on board that baby should be adjusted, which is cool. And I'm fine talking to them through why they should, but even basic stuff and like, well, mom, you can't be having, you know, six gallons of coffee a day and, you know, not move your body and not get enough sleep and like these are things that you don't need research for you just need to know logic says drink enough water get enough rest you know don't stay uh 
in a fear, you know, mongering yeah. world yeah. that we're in. But so, yeah, I was going to say real quick to you, just because this is like with coming, it comes to chiropractics and my patients and stuff like or my clients that I work with. But I also just learning about birth and understanding just the natural expulsive reflexes and mm-hmm. what the baby naturally goes through in a normal, healthy physiological right. birth. I've been telling my husband lately, I'm like, it's like they're like, it's like their first massive chiropractic adjustment coming into the world. And if they don't have that, or if something interferes with that, right? they're pro- they're like, cause we were always taught like when babies would come out and they're, they're like, oh, they're holding their neck up. They're so strong. And it's like, that's tension. Like they're right. not supposed to be that way. They're right. supposed to be like flappy, loose babies, you know? And, and so I just think it's just, yeah. you know, it's kind of, it's just interesting knowing it, like it, when you go through the birth canal, yeah. what's happening and right. how and much we enter. Yeah. How yeah. important that is. Yeah. I, we always tell people the most important times are pre- to be adjusted is during pregnancy and immediately right after. Yeah. Because any, the longer there's interference in the body, in especially a developing child, like the baby's organs are being developed and and if there, the longer there's interference, then there's going to be issues, maybe not immediately, again, three years old, five years old, 10 years old, but the babies communicate via symptoms, ear infections, colic, gas, you know, mm-hmm. fussiness. All of that are signs on our end that the baby's communicating there's interference. And to us, it could be physical in the form of subluxation, that's where chiropractic is, or chemical or emotional. So the three the yeah. three tiers that we always start with is like well f- since we're chiropractors physical first assess the baby is there inter- is there physical interference then it's chemical on the side of like well what's the baby eating what environment is it in and then emotional is if is it a high stress like that's where that's a ch- more challenging one but for adults we can at least assess more like you know are you stressed out at work do you have yeah. uh, how are your relationships and things of that nature um, and very quickly, by assessing those three things, you see very immediate responses. It's amazing with kids. What the the I, uh, yeah the doc, the doc that's normally with digestive. us digestive like the way that I'll have babies who will just like not be pooping. Yes. and I'll be like, you guys, let's just try chiropractics because right. that happens a lot with like lip and tongue tie babies. They're having digestive issues, yes. and then they'll be like starting to go to the chiropractor, and I have to say that that's they're starting. They're just like yeah yeah picking up on their stools and i'm like heck yeah man yes yep it's amazing so i think the podcast lately has been super interesting because we've had megan davidson on with pelvic health and we have a sex therapist like there's been so many great and you kind of round out these like line of segments so um i think you guys are all in some way affiliated you said with like the collective there's like this new fem uh, fem fem. so fem yeah fem columbia Mm -hmm. fem x Mm-hmm. Is, yeah. And in that, or just in your, kind of your circle, if we had to interview someone next, um, because a lot of these women who we've talked to recently have been like, oh, and you have to talk to this person that I know who does this, who would you recommend that someone in the community that you find super fascinating that you were like, you guys should talk to them next? Is there anyone that comes to mind? Actually, when I was on my way here, um, Maria Plantis, she just started um, Tribe Yoga and Wellness. Okay. And I was like going to text her because she's really 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 interesting yeah um she's also a nurse and so and she um her and her husband ian uh just started their yoga studio and 
they're fabulous. I love them so much. They're just doing such great work, and I think they're just such a great. You know, the pandemic just shifted a lot of businesses. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a lot of pandemic business babies that absolutely. are popping up, and I would say that they're they're one of them. Yeah. And so, I think she would be great. Um, just 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 to start, but there's. I'm 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 meeting a lot of people, so yeah. I'll keep it going. Now, are you from Columbia originally, or? I claim it. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. Nice. I mean, I've lived all over the country, but I always tell people, I'm like, I actually is... um, wound up working at the same hospital I was born at, cool. and I've lived a ton of places. So, so yeah. tell us, tell the listeners too, like, what keeps you in Columbia? What do you love about Columbia? Any top restaurants, places, things to do that you like here? Um, I would say that the thing that keeps me here the most is probably like my family's here. Um, it's just great cost of living here mm-hmm. it's yeah, easy it's to great. live here in Columbia we always thought we were going to move somewhere else but um, the longer I'm here the more that I just love how we have you've always had to kind of search for really interesting things in Columbia yeah. right um, but it just seems like to be a really good time to be in Columbia and as business owner, I think there's a lot of stuff happening here. And so that, a lot of potential, a lot of opportunity. Um, There's a lot of things that are not happening here that if you're motivated and you have a really good idea, the community is ready for it in a way I think that, I mean, I've been here for decades yeah so you know it's it's pretty it's a good time to be here so i was gonna say you're definitely impacting our community and we're thankful that you're here and that your business is here and um and that you took time to talk with us today so thank you this has been awesome what's Mm -hmm. the easiest way somebody could get in touch with you so uh, all the people listening Mm -hmm. how could they find you and 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 get on board i would say probably as much as i i am active on social media at the latch rn um they can call me they can email me they can dm me we'll tag your information all that stuff yeah. do you have a website or anything yeah for yeah website? got a website, What's the website? it's um the latchrn.com awesome the latchrn.com yeah awesome awesome well thank you yeah. for being on the show so much. thank you we guys for having it. me of this course. is a joy awesome. mm-hmm. here we're here for the health of it for the health of it